it's always been a very popular song of Brother Hale's. You must be born again. I like that verse that said, uh, Sinner, your sin debt is due. That's when God begins to work in a person's life. Uh, that's a quickening. That's when they first become conscious that something's a matter and that God has a plan. This morning we're still in Romans 8, so if you'll turn to Romans 8, verse 35 is our verse for today. We will read from uh, verse 31 down through 35. Verse 31 through 35. What shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. And who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Here comes another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? We can read the next verse, too. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. But our verse today is verse 35. Let's bow our heads. Father, again, we have freedom to come before a people interested in their own souls. This people is interested also in eternal life. They're interested in our Lord Jesus Christ, and we thank you for each one here and each family represented. And we pray that the things we've just read and the things that we'll say will honor and glorify our Lord Jesus Christ, for he is our all in all. We want to thank you this morning for, for health, strength, and life, and the very hope that the life to come is ours because of our Lord Jesus Christ taking our place. Make this lesson real to our hearts, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Who shall separate us? Isn't that interesting? When the Bible describes God's people as being peculiar, it hits the nail right on the head. And Peter goes down another avenue and calls God's people newborn babes. Now, does anyone start out this Christian life in full control and not need instruction and consolation? Well, look at 1 Peter 2.2, 2, because this is where Peter says, as newborn babes. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, and by turning to the scriptures, this is how you learn where it will stay on your memory possibly as to where these scriptures are when you have time of need for them. First Peter 2, 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now who's Peter talking to? He's talking to a group of God's elect. Look at chapter 1, verse 2, where it says, Elect. 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. He started out by calling them elect. And they were kept by faith. Look at verse 6. Wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in... Let's see, verse 5, rather than, verse five rather than 6. Who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. And they had great trials, and they loved the Lord dearly. Look at verse 7 and 8. The trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perishes, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen ye love, and whom though now ye see him not yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. These people were the ones that Peter was saying in chapter 2, as newborn babes. They seemed to be veterans with their trials and their faith and their loving Lord, but they desperately needed instruction and desperately needed to grow in grace. So also in Romans, Paul is writing to vets whose faith is known throughout the world. Look at Romans 1, 8. See, this is our book of Romans. And in the 8th verse of chapter 1, it says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And they were called of Jesus Christ to be saints. Look at verses 6 and 7 here in Romans 1. Among whom also ye also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be called in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Okay. Yet we find Paul tediously instructing these Christians in every minor and major detail in their lives. God's people need instruction, both verbal and written, to guide them through this kingdom of darkness. Now, both preaching and reading of God's Word are used by the Holy Spirit. Turn to 1 Corinthians 1.21. 1 Corinthians 1.21. And this is where preaching is shown to us to be necessary. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. You see, that's God's idea. It's not man's. Man has to be pushed, taught, led, whatever, to preach. But it pleases God that somebody does, you see. It pleases God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Now, in John 14, 26... It says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all 
things. Now, how does he teach you all things? By taking the word home to the human heart, either read or preached. And he'll bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, stay in John, but look at John 16, 13. John 16, 13 is going to tell you the Holy Spirit's going to teach you. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak. And he will show you things to come, and we're going to have that in our 11 o'clock hour, so we won't talk any more about that. To teach us. Why is this necessary if we are once saved? Why worry? Well, you see, being born again or being saved involves a lot more than lip service and just going to church on Sunday morning. In addition to what you are, there is a new nature that is totally contrary to yourself and to the world. Now, the world puts you out because you have a new master. What do I mean the world puts you out? Well, look at John 15, verse 18 and 19. John 15, 18 and 19. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Now, in our several previous studies, Paul was encouraging the saint by explaining how the workings of sin from within cannot condemn you because Christ died for the believer's sins. Always the child of God's first concern is the sin that smolders continually in his breast. Now, why is that? We'll turn to Jeremiah 17:1, and I'll show you why. There's no getting rid of your heart. There's no getting rid of that old nature. It stays with you. John 7, uh, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, meaning the heart there is also the nature of man. When the nature goes or your soul is snuffed out, you're dead. If your heart quits beating, you're dead. They're both the same thing. The heart, the nature of man is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Well, what keeps our depraved hearts in check? Paul says, consider that God spared not his own son. Consider that God is for the elect, so who can be against them? What proof do we have of that? Well, he says, it's Christ who died... Rather, who is risen again and sits at God's right hand is our mediator, making intercession for us. See, Paul brings all these conclusions to the, to the questions. Do you need anything else to prove that sin cannot condemn you now? Who is all this for? Just anybody? Well, by now you should know better, but let's read it one more time. We're in verse 33. Now we're talking about Romans 8, 33. I've got to get back to there myself. Romans 8, 33. Who shall lay anything 
to the charge of God's elect. You see who we're talking about? Some people will go to their grave denying that God knows every sinner that Christ died for and that he gave them to Christ before the world was ever created. No matter how many times they read it or how many times they hear it, they will not believe it. But let's read it one more time for ourselves. 2 Timothy 1 9. 2 Timothy 1 9. Who has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, that's plain, simple, sixth-grade English. But, you know, the smart ones in this world try to twist those words to make them mean something that they don't say. It does say that it was God's own purpose and grace to do this for us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Now, look at John 5, 39. And it's going to tell us the same thing, only in different words. John 5, 39. Search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. And they are they which testify of me. Now the scriptures are old. They go back to Adam and Eve. Moses wrote them, though, a thousand years after that time. But the beginning of the Scriptures and the end of the Scriptures are about the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you talk about the Lord Jesus Christ as the, your only hope of salvation, of eternal life. Now, God's people face two realities that the normal person may never face in all of their life. We just covered the one, the conviction of sin. Paul, we've come through all of that. You know, who can condemn you? And now the second reality is the outward physical abuse of our persons by the people of the world. The world thinks, just like Satan thought in the case of Job, just afflict him from the outside, kill his family, take away his possessions and take away his health, rack his body with painful sores, and he will no longer be a believer. Well, in our verse today, it's Romans 9, 35, Paul lists seven things, any one of which could turn a worldling's mind but none of which can separate Christ's love from the believer. Let's look at verse 35. The first one is tribulation. The second is distress. The third is persecution. The fourth is famine. The fifth is nakedness. The sixth is peril. And the seventh is a sword. Now for the first one, tribulation is common affliction that does not amount to death. Anything that puts our back to the wall, 
disgrace, fines, imprisonment, lawsuit, lies about you. Those things are tribulation, the kind of thing that haunts the back of your mind and always is bringing a pressure upon your mind. The second one, distress, when there is no way to escape. We are brought to the point of we don't know which way to turn. We're at our wit's end and must submit to the will of our enemies. That's distress. Persecution. Not only cast out, but chased from one place to another like Saul chased David. Let's turn and take a peek at that one. 1 Samuel 26, 20. 1 Samuel 26, 20. We don't get down there very often, do we? Now therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth before the face of the Lord, for the king of Israel is come out to seek a flea, as when one doth hunt a partridge in the mountains. Now that's what we call persecution. Now the fourth one is famine. When for fear of persecution, they are forced to shun all cities, towns, and villages and hide out in desert places and because of this suffer extremes of hunger. We have an example of that in Hebrews 11.38. If you'll turn there, Hebrews 11.38. Of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Okay. Nakedness, the fifth one. When their clothes were wore out and ragged, again that's Hebrews eleven thirty seven. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Now remember, these are God's people. These are the favorites of the earth for our Lord. But this is how the world treats them. Turn to 2 Corinthians 11.27 and see what Paul says about his own experience. 2 Corinthians 11.27 Paul says in weariness and painfulness and watchings often in hunger and thirst in fastings often in cold and nakedness so he's got all those things too that's why I say these are realities to God's people not always to the normal person but to God's people now uh, perils, the sixth one, by which he meant eminent danger, for even where they hid, they still had danger. And if you're in Second Corinthians 11, look at verse 26, where Paul lists perils and journeyings often in perils of waters and perils of robbers, and perils of mine own countrymen, no matter where he's running or hiding or preaching, always perils, and perils by the heathen, and perils in the city, and perils in the wilderness, and perils in the sea, and perils among false brethren. So there's always perils. Now the last one, the sword, 
that means violent death. And here the Apostle Paul stops listing for what more can they do than kill the body. A sword may separate body and soul, but it cannot separate us from the love of Christ. Now, this just doesn't confine death to his sword, but to any implements such as axes, fires, strangling, and all sorts of violent deaths. In order for any of God's children to live and survive here on earth, they will meet with many troubles. Look at Psalm 34, 19. Psalm 34, 19 Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. By life, no, not always. Sometimes your deliverance is by death. Sure, it's easy to say that those things only happened to the early church, but that's not true. The bad will always hate the good. The world is still set upon wickedness and gets worse as it gets older. In fact, that's how it all started. Turn to 1 John 3. Look at verse 12. 1 John 3, 12. Here's how it started. Not as Cain, who was of that wicked one and slew his brother... And wherefore slew he him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hates you. See, the world likes evil. They revel in evil things. And it was the same way during the lifetime of Christ. Turn to John fifteen eighteen. John fifteen eighteen, our Lord said the same thing. He said, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And that's the way it shall be to the very end of time. So it starts with the first two brothers. It continued through the life of Christ. Now let's see how it's going to end. Turn to Revelation 20 and look at verses 8 and 9. Revelation 20, 8 and 9. Here's coming to the end of time. Well, let's start with verse 7. When a thousand years are expired, that's this next thousand years that's coming up called the tribulation. It hasn't started yet, but when it does, it'll be for a thousand years. Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog, Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now this is totally beyond comprehension when we've just come from 1,000 years of the Lord Jesus Christ ruling here upon earth himself. And yet Satan is, is able to gather as many people, as it says, as the sand of the sea that hate the Lord Jesus Christ in a perfect environment without Satan even being here to say, well, the devil made me do it. There will never be that excuse during the millennium. 
And still and all, here's how it ends. They gathered together to try to wipe out Jerusalem. See, in verse 9, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and their beloved city. And look how quickly it's over. What a, what a crazy thing try to fight the Lord. Fire came down from God out of heaven, devoured them. End of the story. So quickly. Not even any details of a wonderful battle or... Uh, it's all over. There's no fighting against the Lord God of heaven. Now, our warning for today... <coughs> is in 1 John 2, 15 and 16. 1 John 2, 15 and 16. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now the wicked and the righteous, the spiritual and the carnal, the sensual and the heavenly, the formal and the serious, can no more agree than the wolf and the lamb. The world, including your friends, cannot understand the change in your life to follow after Christ. First Peter four four. First Peter four four. This is a, a description that could be given next week or last month or today of the friends that you have and that I have when you tell them about your interest in Christ, wherein they think it's strange that you run not with them to the same excessive riot like you did, like they do. And because you don't run with them to the same excessive riot, they will be speaking evil of you. Ah, oh, you're weird. Ah, oh, you're square. Ah, oh, you're this. Ah, oh, you're that. You're fanatic. I want to tell you something. You follow the Lord Jesus Christ and you are fanatic. I don't mind being a fanatic for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not fanatic for this church or I'm not fanatic for the denomination, being a Baptist. Forget all that. I'm fanatic for Christ because he's my substitute. Just like you're fanatic for your husband or for your wife. All others are out, excluded. And that's the way it should be. Any affliction done to God's children is done under the watchful, loving, tender eye of the Father. This smart discipline is needful to reclaim us from our wanderings, to cut off the provision of the flesh which is an enemy, to humble us for sin which is the greatest evil, to wean us from the world, to make us more mindful of heavenly things and to make us thankful for our deliverance in Christ. The Bible's falling apart. And so, take a look at Revelation 3.19. Revelation 
a strange verse to a lot of folks. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. This rings true for all Christians. God is a father when he frowns as well as when he smiles. How thankful we should be if God does not call us to the same severe trials that Paul has listed that the primitive Christians endured. No doubt they were better Christians than we are. But our lesson has to do with the impossibility of anyone or anything dissolving the union between Christ and believers. He is the head and we are the members. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12. 1 Corinthians 12, 12. For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so is Christ. Now we're talking about the body and members, but I said that Christ was the head, so turn to Colossians 1.18 and see him described there as the head. Colossians 1.18. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Now understand <laughs> that they bring him in as the head of the church, the head of the body, after making mention that he's the creator. You see in verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth. Now, they never taught me that in school. I never heard it mentioned. In fact, I can't remember hearing it mentioned in church. I don't know if the Methodist church ever reads these scriptures. I never heard that the Lord Jesus Christ was the Creator. Now, I probably read over it and didn't, didn't comprehend it, but I never heard it preached. For by him are all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. See, things you can't see, things you can't understand, like spirits and angels and demons. It didn't make any difference what it is. All things were created by him and for him. And he's before all things, and by him all things consist. And boy, could you take off on that. Why doesn't there... Why don't things just blow up or quit happening perfect like the way the earth orbits around the sun and the way the moon orbits around the earth? Well, why doesn't that change? How, how is it so perfect that man can even gauge to make a trip to the moon by figuring exact calculations according to the way these things are made? It's because by him all things consist. No changes until he says so. 
And when he does say so, you watch the Big Bang, they're going to be then. Once you are persuaded that Christ loves you, then what need have you to fear? Nothing can separate you from an eternal love. Look at Jeremiah 31.3. Jeremiah 31.3. You say, well, that's in the Old Testament. That doesn't make any difference. Our Lord Jesus Christ is found throughout the Scriptures. When he said, search the Scriptures... The New Testament wasn't even written yet, so these are the scriptures that you find Christ in. And here it says, 31.3, huh? I'm on 33. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Who's the Lord? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. And therefore, with loving kindness, have I drawn thee. And it does so with every single elect soul that the Lord's going to save. And one of the reasons that you can consider yourself an elect soul is because you are listening to the gospel right now. The Lord has provided a Bible for you, and he's provided a ministry for you. And so that puts the monkey on your back. You have got to get to Christ. You have heard, now the responsibility is yours. You see, the Lord says, I have drawn thee. Yeah, he's drawn and drawn and drawn. Now the responsibility is to become a crier, become a knocker, become one that constantly bangs at that door of grace. Hang around the Lord Jesus. Hang around the gates of redemption. Just keep hanging in there. He will not cast you away. And besides that, our Lord says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Look at Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Let your conversation be without covetousness. And be content with such things as you have, for he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Well, doesn't that bring us right back to our lesson? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Man can't do it. You see, we're talking about outward persecution now, any kind, any type. It can't separate you. And in our next service, we're going to talk about death a little bit. Uh, we've had, some of our folks have had a little uh, association with death just uh, two days ago. Uh, my son works for the electric company, LP&L. And him and his buddy been working together for years, both very careful, and an accident happened. They were both working together, and this fellow slipped in the mud. His foot went out from under him, and his shoulder goes into the wire, and he's dead. 
that fast. And my son standing there, just seen it. And he's one that knows the gospel. He's one who's an awakened type of sinner. Not awakened to the fact that he really wants to get saved. But he's awakened enough to know that if he was to die, he'd split hell wide open. And that's been kind of sombering to him. I just thank the Lord. He's still here. He tried desperately with CPR and everything else when it was over, but the man burned totally inside. A veteran, 17 years, working with hot stuff. But he slipped. It wasn't carelessness. It was an accident. And it can happen to anybody. But you see, with God's people, death is the gateway to heaven. That's what's so different about Christianity. People think Christianity has to do with living. No, Christianity has to do with dying. It's the only way for reality to be shown to you is to die to prove your faith. Not go out and kill yourself, nothing like that. I'm not talking about that. Death is the gateway to eternal life. And that's what the scriptures teach. Let's bow our heads. Father, we ask thy blessing upon the few things that were said and, of course, upon the wonderful things that we read out of thy book. Now bless them to our hearts. Make these things realities. May each time we gather together we learn something. Not to come in and go out and forget what we've heard, but to learn something each time. That as we learn, we'll remember and thy word will become more precious to us and we'll be more eager to talk about it to anybody. I draw those that need to know you. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, we've got a little more time than usual.